Pod, 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 pod. Rugby pod. Hello and welcome back to the Rugby Pod. I'm Andy Rowan. Goody is with me as usual, but Jim's stranded in Hong Kong. So we've got a massive upgrade in the form of England's most capped man. Ben Youngs is joining us today. We'll be chatting all things Champions Cup after some thrillers in Exeter and La Rochelle. And then we'll be looking ahead to the quarterfinals this weekend. Plus, we'll be having a chat with Bristol's Fijian superstar, Semi Rondrondra. So settle back, enjoy, and make sure you've subscribed on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Goody, where is he? What's happened? What's Youngsy doing here? I mean, first and foremost, <laughs> it's great to have Youngsy on, and we'll get into the depths of why he is here, but... We've got England's most capped men's international on, so that's a massive upgrade to start off with. No interest in Jim at the minute. That bloke is an embarrassment. He's had one <laughs> night out. He's had one night out in Hong Kong, and he's got the shits for seven days. And <laughs> he's gone dark. He's gone underground. He doesn't want to talk to anyone. He's got the fear. Whatever's happened, he's just an embarrassment to himself and his family and his rugby career. He can't handle two nights out. That's the problem. So he's had the shits. I was wise enough to get to Hong Kong, have three days on it, get in and out, get home, and then I've been doing a load of work for BT over the weekend. But more importantly, Ben Young's in the house. How are you, Youngsy? I'm good, Goody. Nice to be here, mate. Happy to fill Jim's shoes. Big boots to fill, though, eh? They are big boots. But, you know, as I remember Jim in, in when I was coming through the club, Jim was uh, always leading the charge on the social front. So it sounds like uh, old age has caught up on him, mate. We all know he moans a lot about his health. So he has, in his defence... He can't back up two nights. He can't even do one night out anymore. But in his defence, he has got thyroid issues. He's gluten intolerant as well. So he's got those issues. But basically, uh, if he does anything outside of having a gluten-free beer, he gets the shit. So um, <laughs> He's screwed. He, yeah. He's gone from leading the charge your end when you were coming through the club to now he's pathetic. That's the end of it. Just absolutely <laughs> pathetic. Was he really leading the charge back in back in the day, Youngsy? Well, if I think back A-League or on when we'd go watch Goody basically go win a final for Leicester and and uh, go watch Goody win a final for Leicester and I, I'd be on the, the obviously not involved so I'd be on the bus and Jim of course not involved I was about 12 Jim was 28 and um, and uh, he would be on that bus and he'd lead the charge on that to be fair but uh, no I think um, I think it might have spoken about last time when Jim was uh, was passing the, the old Jack Daniels around we had to do eyeball pull and then he chucked the, the, the sick bag over the top and it ended up going all over him. So I think it's, that's old material, really. I think we've spoken about before. But yeah, he did lead the charge. Now he's just awful. <laughs> yeah. We'll come on to the Champions Cup shortly. But Ben, how's the injury, mate? Because you've, you've done your shoulder, haven't you? Is that right? Yeah, I, uh, I heard it against Bristol. It was actually when Thacker was, was scoring, actually. I tried to, with the new rules of trying to get underneath everyone, I was trying to knock the ball out of his hands and instead uh, managed to get my shoulder trapped underneath. So... Luckily, it's nothing serious. It's settling down pretty nice at this stage. I'll do what I can to, to try and push for, for Friday night. 
let's ask you about your brother and how is he? Because obviously it's been a tough time for the whole family, right? None more so than him. Saw him a few weeks ago at Leicester as well, and he seemed in good spirits. How was he Friday? Yeah, you know, right, Goody. He uh, he's had it obviously unbelievably tough, which has been unbelievably public and, and people know about it and people are extremely caring and, and want to know but he's doing good him and Maisie are doing really well yeah things are things are moving forward slowly but they're moving forward step by step and you know Christmas was obviously a tough period and you know Mother's Day just gone but with every every little milestone done and um, getting past it he, he, he continues to move forward so uh, yeah he, he seems to be in a, in a good spot and um, and so does she so it's uh, it's great to see. How hard is it when things do play out in the public like that? Does that make it easier in some ways because people are way more empathetic and openly talking about it or does it make it harder because they're talking about it all the time? It's, it is difficult. I think, you know, one thing about cancer is it does affect so many people. I mean, everyone knows someone that has either battled it and, and overcome it or sadly lost that fight. Everyone is affected by that disease. So firstly, you realise just how many people can relate to it. But it's difficult because you it's such a private matter that it's it's hard that it sort of has to in a way play out how it did because you know Tom had to obviously retire with immediate effect straight away um you know no player does that if they're not injured or certain circumstances and given you know the the exposure of the last time uh when I pulled out the lines and having to explain the reasons why and go public that time this time you had to do the same so it was hard because you in a way you have an unbelievable support in the rugby family community and everyone is is extremely caring and, and supportive. But in the same breath, it's it's also hard to, because you, you don't really get that privacy. And even now, you know, everyone is so kind and asks me, how's Tom, how's Tom? And it's great, but also just, you're constantly then reminded of it. And it's, uh, so it's, it's, it's a fine line, but I know that what Tiff and Tom, and you know, it was open, how they probably inspired and was able to, to reach a lot of people, like I say, that are affected by by the cancer. 100%. Just on Tom, did he have a few beers? Did he go out in Leicester afterwards, after the game on Friday? Because you need to let your hair down. Yeah, mate. He was, I mean, he's he's pretty buzz-eyed anyway. But the more he drinks, <laughs> the more the eye. The more the eye just starts to, starts to go to the right and right. And by the end, yeah, by the end, he was he was pretty much cross-eyed. So uh, he had a good time and well-deserved. So he's only come back to the Watcher games probably about three times now. So... Yeah, he was good. I was his taxi. <laughs> good man. Good man. Looking at the England squad, cause you, you started off and you, you were playing, you know, you got that first game under your belt against Scotland, but didn't feature after that for England. Has Borthers given you much to work on? Has he given you sort of any idea of like what you've got to work, go away and do or how you can get back in? Yeah, definitely. I think the, the clarity that you get from coaches um, is always very, very clear. And if it isn't, then you go and seek it. But Steve has always been very clear. The chats have always been positive. You know, obviously after Scotland, I, I wasn't involved for the rest of the tournament, but was there Sunday to Tuesday trying to put my best foot forward. Also having worked with Steve for three years, he knows how I am as a person, as a player, what I can do. And obviously I know his game plan very well, as do a lot of the lads that have been under him at Leicester. So yeah, it was more just getting what I need to do, what can I do and move from there really. But it was always very clear and a lot of time positive. Is there a tiny part of you as you're driving back on a Tuesday or as you have driven back on a Tuesday night, thinking, why did I help that kid out so much? Because he's now got my spot. <laughs> <laughs> and he's the Judas. And he's the Judas. No, there isn't. Honestly, there isn't. You can always compare and be like, oh, well, I can do this and he can do that. And where, like, at the end of the day, it's like, right, what can I do? And do you know what? The only thing I could do, like I said, really, was go back to the club and play well. And I felt like I did that. I felt like I contributed towards the run of results. And I really enjoyed just being at the club and playing for them and like I say, building that partnership with Polly and, and sort of being a part of the, 
of a, of a group that kind of went on a bit of a run and we've still got that run now. And yeah, I didn't think that. No, I didn't. Good man. I'll ask you about Polly then because the other half of my partnership with Jim Hamilton, I'm going to name him Jim, basically said, why have they signed Andre Pollard? Questioned him, calling him out, all this stuff at the start of the season when they signed him. And I've always backed Polly, said he's an unbelievable player. He got a couple of injuries, he'll come good. And over the last three months, he's been unbelievable for the club, hasn't he? What's it like playing with him? World Cup winner, obviously, really good bloke. You hear everything positive around him at the club. He's unbelievable, isn't he? Yeah, he is. Very good guy, first and foremost. But he has a real calming presence. He's not someone that says anything unless it needs to be said. He's a very calm character, very relaxed, gives off a, a real sort of calm energy. But what he's able to do, I guess, is he's able to mix it. And you know, whether that's his kicking game, whether that's his distributing game, you know, he defends very well. He's got a real balance to how he plays. And I think he's brought that. And it obviously takes a while to any player to settle in, especially having coming from France and Montpellier, where he had a bad injury. And then when he got fit, he didn't then didn't play much. So he kind of he struggled out there. And I think he's really pleased just to be in an environment and a place where he's thriving and he's loving it. And the environment has brought the best out of him. And he's then able to, to then perform at the weekend. So he's been class, absolute class. Let's talk about Wiggy, obviously retiring mid-season off the back of taking a massive pay rise to become head coach at Leicester. I'm joking. But obviously when Borthwick left and Kev Sinfield left, he was there to take over, wasn't he? A player that you've competed with, not only individually, but international level, but also club level as well for years. What's he like as a boss? Because he used to be a hell of a bloke. He used to be loose, used to love the banter. Now he's a head coach. Is he as boring as all of the head coaches are when they get the jersey? No, no, he's still got, he's still got that in him, mate. <laughs> <If> he, um, <laughs> he can still get loose. I think uh, after the final last year, I think he's probably, him and Freddie Burns were probably the two <laughs> loosest blokes uh, leading the charge. So had a, yeah, the, the player coach was as loose as the players. So no, he, do you know what? I generally, he's done an amazing job because it wasn't, we didn't just lose Kevin attack coach and obviously Steve is four, but we also lost Wiggy in a way as an attack coach because he had to go and fill Steve's role. Yeah. So we almost, we, we basically lost a forwards coach, defense coach and an attack coach. Then Matt Everard come in and sort of does attack and defense and Wiggy sort of oversees everything now. And obviously Danny Wilson coming in to do the set piece work, but he's done an amazing job because that's difficult. And I've got to credit him, but also the, the, the players and all the staff because you know, when something like that happens, I think unless you've got a really good culture and a really good group of boys, then I could see some teams sort of throwing in town going, oh, okay, well, look, we lost two coaches, it'll change and we've got a new coach coming in next year. But like, no, it's just, it's not the way that the group is and it's not the way that, that it has to be. So boys have grabbed hold of it. He's done a great job. And although we, we had a bit of a sticky patch at the start, we beat Gloucester, then we got pumped by Sale, pumped by Newcastle. Then we went to Claremont and we won away and it kind of kick-started again and it went from there. So it'll be a loss next year. While we're on the topic of coaches, obviously the, the main coaching talking point this season has been the England coaching. Do you see any sort of main differences between Eddie and Borthers as far as like the, the culture? Have you got any sort of specific examples of like how things have changed within the camp? Similar philosophies, but sort of different at the same time. So the stricter schedule and everything like that is, is completely different to how it was under Eddie. You know, I think Steve was probably aware of when he comes in is, is he didn't want it to feel like the same. He needed everything to feel different and he did a great job of doing that. You know, Steve is very sort of evidence and data-based where I think Eddie was probably more feel 
Eddie, for me, was an incredible coach and I, and I have no doubt that he'll do well at Australia. And I think what Steve did is, you know, essentially he had to, a bit similar to what he did at Leicester, really, he comes in and has to start with the foundations and build the philosophy of how we want to play and build the culture. And that takes time, you know, at club level, you're in every day. Every day you get an opportunity to work on something and, and develop that. You know, when you're an international coach, you have such a small window to do that. You know, you have 33 blokes in on Sunday to Tuesday, then they go and then you're left with, with 23, 24 and then even the mini camps, you know, midweek through the tournaments are even less players than that. So it's a difficult challenge because you're building foundations, you're building the culture and all that, but your time is so limited. So I think that's why, in, you know, the World Cup camp and uh, Wiggy going in and Alid and all those guys, I think in the, the team together, I'm sure make up so much ground in terms of those foundations, the culture, the ethos, all those bits that need doing that take time. Uh, you're in every day and it just, I just think it will accelerate very, very quickly. One of the things I want to ask you about, Eddie Jones, I know you got on exceptionally well with you. He picked you pretty much all the time, didn't he? In terms of he believed in you as a player and you had an unbelievable career under him. One of the things that's come out around some of the lads is they've kind of said they're on eggshells, walking on eggshells a bit at a camp and you never knew what was coming next. And for some players, that's great because it's really engaging and all that stuff. For other players, they felt like shit looking over their shoulder and didn't know what was going to happen next. Borthers isn't that kind of way, is he? He's very honest and very straight down the line. How, how do you find the difference between the two? Was that true about how Eddie's camps were and Borthers is a lot more sort of open and you know where you stand? Well, I think one of the things straight away that Steve did was make sure all the rugby stuff was done at the training centre. So no no meetings are ever done at the hotel, in the hotel area. Everything is done at the hub, at the base, at the training centre. So you can kind of, when you're at the hotel, you're at the hotel, you're relaxed, it's downtime when you're there it is work and what how it was with under eddie before was obviously we'd go train but have all our meetings in the hotel have catch-ups at the hotel have units meetings at the hotel. so you kind of you know you might be going down for breakfast and suddenly you, you need that you sort of grab because you need a quick chat to review something with a coach or can you look at this or you're about to go for dinner it's if you've got five minutes i need to just look at this you know so that's that's very different now it's when we're there we're there where before it was sort of both. And I guess that maybe led on to some boys potentially always feeling like, oh, am I about to get grabbed? Am I about to suddenly have to go into a meeting? You know, so you never truly probably switched off. But Steve is so thorough and incredibly diligent and he's aware of, of anything like that. And that's why probably one of the reasons straight away he was like, right, we work here, we do all our work here. When we're at the hotel, you're done, you switch off, you use that as an escape because to give so much good, you know it's like a test week, mate high pressure it's intense isn't it mate and you can't carry that all 24 7 all the week long you've got to be able to do it park it rest up be ready to go again do it park it be ready to go again and that's kind of that was probably a big difference mate the only time the coaches ever spoke to me in the hotel was when i was getting dropped so i tried to avoid them <laughs> you always used to hate those oh, can, I, can i have a quick word you're like oh fucking hell i'm not involved again yeah <laughs> It's one of those, isn't it? It's just when they, when they tell you, there's like, yeah, uh, can I have a quick word? And you think, right, here it comes. <laughs> you know, here it comes. <laughs> it's awful. You just know, don't you? Yeah. Sometimes you want to say, uh, do you know what? You don't need to have a word. Let's just, <laughs> I'll trade really hard and then go home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, let's get into the Champions Cup stuff then. Gouda, you were down in Devon, weren't you? I was, filling myself with pasties down in Exeter <laughs> Chief Chief Chiefs. <laughs> It's amazing. I walk in that stadium, I get given a pasty every time I walk in. No, you don't. I do. Generally, there's a there's a guy that runs, he's basically security to get in and out of the tunnel. And when I used to play, they'd come and give me a pasty after the game trying to feed me up. 
and now I go as a pundit and they give me a pasty pre-match as well. So I was eating it on the side of the pitch. It was lovely. I needed it after Hong Kong. I didn't eat anything in Hong Kong when I was there. I just drank a lot. So um, yeah, lovely place, Exeter. I love it down there. Hell of a way to go out for Montpellier. Yeah, it was an unbelievable game. And you're thinking Exeter eight points up after Zach Mercer got sent off and you're thinking it's done and dusted, right? But fair play to Montpellier. And they've had some stick in this competition. We gave them a bit of stick last year when they took 70 or 80 or 90 points against Leinster away. Ultimately, you're thinking they're down to 14. They're eight points down. They're probably just going to chuck the towel in. And they didn't. They had quality in that squad. Garbisi kicks a penalty with the last kick of the game to tie it up and take it to extra time. Then they score in extra time. Carbonell, who was unbelievable coming off the bench in terms of defensively and impacts on the game. He was fantastic. And you think Montpellier have won it and then extra find it within themselves to pretty much go the length from a penalty, going through a thousand phases. And Jack Yandel gets over for a try, which levelled the game up. But Exeter went through because they scored more tries on the day, which I'm not sure I really like that law. I'd like it to go to penalty kickoffs or have a definitive result mm. on on the day in terms of, you know, 18 wins by hook or by crook, whether that's, you know, golden point and you take out the 10 minutes each way or you go straight to a penalty kick competition after extra time. You think back to the Jeopardy last year when it was Munster against Toulouse in that knockout game and DuPont slotting penalty kicks. It was great to watch as well. So, And Youngsy, I'm sure you've been through it as well, haven't you? Were you involved in that Cardiff game back in the day for Leicester? I was TR in Travelling Reserve, but yeah, I was there and it was intense. I don't quite understand that format because I think it doesn't matter how you get your points. A draw is a draw and it's not settled. So I would personally feel very aggrieved losing that if that was situation because it doesn't matter how you get your points you know you could go could go if that's the case you got a penalty five meters out instead of you know you tap it instead of kicking the free to draw it it's like you know I just I don't think that's how it should be done but it was ironic really that Montpellier built all those phases just before the end of the game got turned over and obviously then turned them over again to, to make it a draw and then extra quit the ball for loads of phases at the end of uh, extra time as well so credit to Montpellier but also extra for, for dogging it out but yeah, I didn't like how it finished. We want entertainment. Joy Neville wouldn't have been popular with the Montpellier players, would she? I don't know. She's got a bit of stick for this. And I obviously, I'm a little bit biased, right? I'm going to say it live on the pod. Andy Brace, the referee, he's my mate. I'm chatting to him before the game. We get on. We message each other quite a lot. And I'm thinking, right, I don't want to be too harsh as a commentator. I can go harsh on referees on the podcast and in commentary if they've had a shocker. The only one you could debate, the Zach Mercer red card, right? And I was messaging Bracey last night about it. And it's between a red and a yellow. And it's really hard to work out. They've got certain parameters they've got to live by as referees. And I probably thought it was a yellow card. But because I'm commentating, I didn't want to go too hard on him because he's my mate. And Joy Neville's come in a few times. And I think she got most of them right, you know. You know, there's the little one where Montpellier get a try disallowed from... There was a knock on the floor. And I think it was Daffy Jenkins who was trying to scoop the ball back, but it does actually touch Ben Lamb's hand on the floor and then goes forward before Montpellier get the ball back. So, you know, on one for, we've got the technology, let's use the technology to get to the right decision. But Youngsy, you're playing the game. What's your opinion on it in terms of the amount of times the TMO comes in? Is it a balance or are you outcome-based as well? You want the right decision to be made where there is, because there's nothing worse, surely, when you're watching a game and something happens in the game, then you review it and go, well, that shouldn't have counted because he was in touch or and the TMO's missed it or whatever. What's your thoughts on that as a player now? No, I agree, mate. I think the whole process needs to be sped up a little bit because at the moment, I think the game is lacking fatigue. Like sometimes in some certain games, there's high pace and it, you can see fatigue and therefore more space and it's better. 
but some game can be really slow because the amount of TMO checks and everyone gets their breath back. And, you know, if you're playing a big, against a big French team, you know, we, we don't want stoppages. We want to try and push the tempo. And if there's constant TMOs, it almost, it becomes then very hard. How do you speed up the game? Because they've had such a, such a break, they can get it. So I think there's to be a quicker process or, and essentially, unless it's so obvious that the game can carry on and just go right quickly, foot was in touch or whatever, you know, no, like don't keep looking at the big screen for him to clarify what you've already saying. Yeah. You know, at times I feel like the TMO says something and then they have to go look with their touch judges to then clarify what the message has already been said. And it's like, surely there needs to be a bit of a smoother process. The other thing I still can't work out is we talk about tackle heights and all that is how and we want to speed up the game and I think is how catch tackles still allowed. The only way you can hold people up and, and create a maul is by standing bolt upright. Yeah. As a player, that's my two gripes is one, you create a maul so everyone stood upright, which is risky, shoulder to head. But the other thing as well is it then gets pulled down, goes to scrum, minute and a half off the clock. So that's a rule I'd get rid of as well. Thoughts on that, Goody? Yeah, we talked about it. It's the worst law in the game, I reckon, at the minute, because you can soak up 15 metres just by holding them up and you get a turnover. So it's either got to be yeah. referee properly about how has it collapsed or you've you've just got to get rid of the law where it says which, you know, the, the, the team that's defending gets the turnover. It's got to be the team that's going forward. If you're going to keep that law in there, it should be the team that's going forward gets it because then you might open up a shitload of space out elsewhere because you can actually drive it 30 metres and then no, they can't just wait and get the turnover. So there, there's a lot of work for World Rugby to do. Joy Neville got a bit of stick apparently on social media. Technically, looking back at the decisions that were made uh, and there's one where Montpellier chuck it over the top and it comes off, they say it's gone forward, but it looked like it came off a extra hand forward. And it led to a try in the corner. And I'm like, well, they didn't check that one. They should have, if they're going to check everything, check everything or check nothing, right? So a bit of a balance. The big news out of it, if it's a draw, let's not decide it on try scored. Let's have a penalty shootout because we like to see jeopardy, don't we? Would you put yourself up for a kick, Young Z? If it comes to that against Leinster, would you put yourself up for a kick? Put myself up for a shank, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Gloucester, God, they were a surprise package on the weekend, weren't they? They almost tipped up La Rochelle. Yeah, do you know what? I, I feel a bit of an idiot because I was chatting to Donica O'Callaghan in studio on Saturday and we were talking about the results and you know which way games are going to go. And I was like, La Rochelle win without a shadow of a doubt. It's not even up for debate. And Gloucester, and we've seen them. It's amazing what sport does because they were so garbage last week against Newcastle and we spoke about it on here up north. And fair play, Newcastle put them to the sword on a Friday night and Youngsy knows how hard it is to go up there and play on a Friday night. But they were bang average. So you're thinking, you're now going to the champions, La Rochelle, who are the biggest team in world rugby history, probably, in terms of weight, size, absolutely everything. And Gloucester pulled out a performance that, I'll be honest, I didn't think they had in them. And I feel harsh saying that. They were unbelievable. Defensively, you know, just stopping that juggernaut that is Skelton, Winnie Antonio, Bottier, all these massive units that they've got. But then also, the way they played the game, the way they attacked and... Their attack coach, I think it's Tim Taylor, right, who they're cut them to shreds at off first phase. The little intricate plays out the back where you're playing off first phase. And that doesn't happen often, does it, Youngsley? First phase attack where you actually carve up an opposition. No. A lot of the time you're setting up for that two or three phase thing to find a weakness somewhere, but it was class. And they were hard done by Mike Adamson. And Youngsley can't say this because you're still playing and... Mike Adamson's a referee. I can say it. He had a stinker. Mike Adamson, my old mate, had an absolute stinker. And Gloucester should feel very proud of their performance. Their fans should be like, geez, that was a you know one of our best ever 
performances away from home, but they should be feel hard done by because some of the decisions that were made, there was a knock-on, I think, just before the final try that didn't get checked. There was a decision where they were stripping it out of the tackle where the ball's already stripped out before he says tackle complete and then he gives the penalty. That leads to them kicking to the corner, which eventually leads to the try. So, And then the crop roll on Ackerman. It's a red card. I've, I've spoken to enough people now in the game to say a bit of it is outcome-based around the severity of how the person has been rolled and the injury. And we all, we all see in Ackerman's knee, it looks horrific, right? It's been outlawed from the game, the crop roll, so it should be a straight red card. So a few decisions went against Gloucester. They can be immensely proud of, of what they achieved. Unfortunately, they get knocked out because of Teddy Thomas's try, but what a spectacle, what a game, and what a place to go and play rugby as well, La Rochelle. It's unbelievable. In Edinburgh, they came fully loaded to Leicester, didn't they, Angsy? You guys would have been uh, pretty happy to have Jasper Visa coming off the bench. Yeah, definitely. I think um, he had so much power. He's so important to, to how we play. I mean, he is abrasive and aggressive and he's going to give you plenty. And he did. You know, the, the weather was shocking. I thought Jack kicked exceptionally well. The wingers got in the air, made it a real contest. I thought uh, their back three struggled really under the under the wet conditions, under the high ball. And we got a lot of turnovers on the back of that. And then Jasper came on and did what he did. I thought that finish was phenomenal, really. It was a dogfight, really. And the game was an arm wrestle and, and we just able to have a little bit more too much power in the end. So great result from the boys and very proud of, to watch them. You look at Darcy Graham, you look at Van der Berver, two of the Scotland left Scotland's first choice wingers, right? And they struggled into the high ball and that's where Leicester got yards. And then, oh my God, Jasper Visa, how would you fancy tackling him when he's running at Jamie Ritchie like that? Is he like that in training, Young Z, or not? No, he's, he's, he's very calm and tame in training. But get him on the Saturday over the line, uh, ready to play. And he's just, now he's been so important. What a find he's been in terms of when he's joined. Ollie Cracknell's another guy that's uh, been a great find coming from London Irish. And he's been really, really important for us as well. So, you know, Yasp is, it's, it's strange, isn't it? Because teams will probably talk him all, up all week. This is the key ball carrier. This is the key guy. Get to him, get to him. But still, he makes yards. Still, teams struggle to contain him. It's a bit like Billy V, isn't it? You know, he's another guy that, Every team talks about him. You know, you've got to stop Billy Vanapola getting momentum, but he still gets momentum. He still sucks in defenders and gets them on the front foot. And, you know, those guys are just constantly put their hand up. So credit to them. I enjoy passing him the ball and uh, watching him do his thing. Not tackling him. Mate, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I watched the Bristol game. I was at the Bristol game last week and I was up in Hambo's box watching it. I thought Jasper Visa had a great game against Bristol, carrying big. And then Wiggy comes out pre-match, said he's put him on the bench because he's got some stuff to work on. It's on form. I'm like, what game are you watching, pal? Because I thought he was great, but it worked, didn't it? Because <laughs> he comes off the bench angry. Yeah. And then he scores the, what effectively is the winning try. I just assumed that Yas was on the bench just to like kind of look after him a bit and, you know, knowing they'll roll him out with, with 30 to go or whatever. I didn't know that that conversation had happened until sort of afterwards that it got mentioned. But I was like, oh, okay. Well, um, <laughs> Yeah, he certainly point proven, microphone dropped, pick me. So fair play to Yast. Youngsy, what did you make of Leinster? Because they were, they were dominant against uh, Ulster in the rain, weren't they? They were, they were dominant, very efficient. They've got a huge amount of test experience in that team, isn't it? I mean, it's a lot of the Irish team that have just come on the back of a successful Grand Slam involved in that. I know they're missing a few players, but they seem to have a, have a luxury of just being able to just have another one waiting in the wings to step in and do the job. So yeah, big challenge this weekend, but an exciting one. I mean, you look at Gloucester in terms of La Rochelle, essentially they went there with a free swing as such. You know, the expectation was 
for them probably not to get the result. And you kind of, when you're a team that potentially plays with no consequences and you're already being written off, you know, it's a different feel to it. Rugby's so much built on emotion and physicality. And, you know, Gloucester were right up there uh, the weekend and they nearly, nearly nipped La Rochelle. And this weekend, you know, the expectation will be that Leinster uh, will do the job. What we have the opportunity to do is go there with no expectation, but we know what we do and implement our game plan, try and be unbelievably physical and, and try and put them under as much pressure as possible whilst doing what we do. So, yeah, it's a, it's a different sort of role really this week in terms of being, I'd say, huge underdogs. But it's exciting because you look at the quality we do have in our squad and there's a lot of test players. You know, we'll go there with clarity and, and we'll try and implement that and, and put them under pressure. It's a massive game and obviously, without stating the obvious, quarterfinals are huge. But Leinster haven't lost a game all year. They've only drawn one and won all the rest. But at some point, we've seen it season after season after season, at some point they lose a game whether that's in knockout stages of the URC or the Champions Cup. This is our time, Young Z. Coley is going to go there. Yeah, this is it. Mate. A monster the scrum. We've got Andre Pollard on form. We've got Jasper Visa. He's going to be running over Caelan Mill, Doris if he's fit. And Conan, who played really well, actually, on Saturday, give him his dues. Uh, Jameson Gibson Park as a nine. Classy player. Needs to work on the old biscuit. He's got a bit of a ball patch up here, which, <laughs> which I mentioned. You're looking forward to hopefully playing against him because... He's been class round as well, isn't he? And he's kind of the fulcrum of their team when Sexton isn't there. Yeah, he's sharp. He's really sharp around the ruck. He brings a real nice tempo. He counts numbers well in terms of, you know, short side. If you haven't quite got the numbers, he'll go down there, delve down there, pick you off. Yeah, he's a, he's a very intelligent player. As you say, good. Once you get to this stage of the comp, you know, you've you got Leinster. If we're on the other side of the draw, you could be playing Toulouse away. If you're on the other side, you'll be playing La Rochelle away. Like, where, wherever you look at it, like, you're going to be playing against the best teams, and rightly so. And this is why the comp is so special. It's an opportunity for us to go play at the Aviva as a club team, which we've, we haven't done. You know, we played them last year in the quarterfinal and, you know, we got sorted out really first half and it was almost till half time we sorted out a few bits and, and then kind of got ourselves back into it a little bit. So, you know, we need to start well and go from there. But uh, it's the games you want to be involved in. We saw a couple of teams go to South Africa over the weekend, beaten comfortably. Must be a tough trip going over there. What are your thoughts on the South Africans impact on this competition and whether or not they should be in there, Goody? Oh, mate, I think they've added absolute quality. Obviously, changing the dynamic around geographically and travelling to knockout games makes it even harder. And I felt sorry for the Monster Boys. It was 29 degrees in Durban. They've come from Cork or Limerick, where it is like minus three degrees. They're all pasty as you like. They haven't taken the Factor 50 sun lotion with them and it was like a bar of soap because it was humid it was everything so I felt for them because I know what it's like when you're hot and sweaty it's not a pleasant place to be right and they looked hot and sweaty some of those boys and you know what you look at the Sharks team full of South African internationals so you've got Bongi and Banambi in the front row you've got Oxnish you know you've got Etzebeth in the second row you've got South African captain Sia Khaleesi the list goes on. Lacanio Am in the centres. Ma Pimpy on one wing. You know, they have quality throughout. So anyone questioning why they're in the competition, yes, it is a change. But you want to play against the best. Youngsy said it then. Like, why wouldn't you want to go and play in Durban? As a as a Leicester Tigers player, for example, you're never going to go and play a club game in Durban unless they're in the Champions Cup. So, you know, you look at the Quinns boys, they've had an unbelievable week in Cape Town. Just an experience that you never get as an English player unless you're playing international duty. And then there's more pressure on that as well. So I think it's been brilliant having them in. Stormers are an unbelievable team and we'll get onto them in a minute. But the Sharks were physical beyond belief. 
they put a load of pressure on on Munster. And Munster played really well in attack in that first half. They picked off their blitz really easily and they were in the battle at half time. But then the 29 degree heat kicked in. They came out after half time and they looked absolutely fucked when they were jogging out. It was like the end of the game. You know, when you see boys, the final whistle goes and everyone's on their haunches. That's how they look coming out after half time. So I felt for them, but the Sharks were a much better team in terms of they had the power game. And, and as Youngsy said then, they scored two quick tries in the second half to start off with. And ultimately, Munster then chased the game, give up a few cheap tries, and the, the result gets away from them. And they end up conceding 50 points, and it looks like a tonkin. But it was a hell of a game in the first half. To answer the question, personally, I'll ask Youngsy it as well, because you're playing the competition. I think they've been brilliant, a brilliant addition. And I can't question or can't quite understand why people say they don't want them in the competition. Fans, yes, it's a lot further to travel, but I'm sure every player would love to go and play over there, right? I totally agree, Goody. I think they've added a huge amount. I think to have the opportunity to go to Cape Town or Durban for the week and do that, it, you're not going to do that at club level until until now. So, yeah, I think they've added a huge amount. And I think what impressed me really, which seems silly because obviously they're renowned for its African teams, but it's just the power and the gain line, how they just constantly win it. And on the back of that, just the breakdown pressure, the jackal threats, how aggressive and abrasive they are at the game line. I know Munster, like you say, dealing with the heat, they probably all had sunstroke at half-time, bless them, <laughs> or probably after warm-up. Yeah. But um, just the, the breakdown is very rarely you see Munster, a team that is renowned around that niggle around the breakdown and how good they are at jackaling and making it so frustrating for you. Sharks just did an absolute job on it. And uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty impressive. So... That would be a good battle there with Toulouse and they're, they're the size of that pack. But it'll be interesting. But I just, I've just i been blown away really by the Safkin sort of power really at club level as well. And Quinn Stormers as well, Goody? Yeah, decent game. And you look at the result, if you haven't seen it, you're thinking, I bet that's a hell of a game, really close, 32-28. Nah, it was not. Stormers were very good, dominated Quinns. And obviously, looking back at it, Quinns score a few tries towards the end to close the gap. But the Stormers... And, and you talk about how the Sharks played, and we just have around their power game and all the big units that they've got. Stormers play a completely different brand of rugby under John Dobson, friend of the show. Damon Willems' try was absolutely ridiculous. I mean, the dexterity to finish that is beyond belief, but they play a really good brand. Marnie Leboc at 10 was unbelievable again. And he's, you know, we're talking about Andre Pollard being South Africa's best 10. And there's always that question of when Andre's not fit, who plays? They tried Willie Lapu there. They've tried Yankees there as well. But Marnie Leboc looks absolutely awesome as well. And going into a World Cup year, you need that depth. So Stormers were great. Quinns, a few too many errors, got taken apart a little bit. But Stormers are in the comp. They're the hell of a team. And they go to Exeter next week and will fancy their chances there after seeing Exeter play at home, who aren't in great form. They're in good form at Sandy Park, but not in great form overall. And uh, yeah, they should be competing in the, in the quarterfinals. Well, let's take a break from the Champions Cup now then and we have a chat with Fiji and Bristol superstar Semi Randranja joining us. How are you, mate? I'm good, mate. I'm good, good. I want to ask you, mate, I, I saw the try at the weekend. You're breaking through and for the last 30 metres of that try, you're holding your hamstring and you're still quicker than anyone else on the field. Uh, how's, how's the injury first and foremost? Yes, man. Good news. Good news. That us can um, uh, after the game. So um, hopefully I can play one more game before I... Um, Head to France. One more game, one more goal left for me. Not too bad, not too bad. There we go. Obviously, disappointing result at the weekend. Uh, and for Bristol, that you found some form recently, haven't you? It's been a 
bit of a mix and match season and everyone was hopeful that you're going to beat Claremont. But what was it feeling like in the change room afterwards? Because obviously disappointments get knocked out, but you've still got the premiership to go for, right? Yeah, everyone was gutted. It was very quiet after the game. We thought we, it was a good chance for us to be on the on the quarters this week because we know there's a two trophy there still alive for us. But uh, yeah, come out with a strong Claremont team. It's the same mistakes we've been happening every week now, giving too much penalties and stuff like that. So... So it cost us on the game. Damon Pinot was unbelievable for, for Claremont, that try. He scores the winner. You like playing in France, do you? Where's Semi ending up next year? I'm going to Lyon. Lyon. So um, looking forward to it. I was in Bordeaux for two years and too long for a year. So I um, like playing in France. Pretty tough, but uh, looking forward to a move next season. So, yeah. Imagine two us over again. You and two us over. Can you imagine playing against that, Youngsy? Tackling two us over and Semi. <laughs> Oh my goodness me. I'm so glad I do the sweeping role as a nine. <laughs> <laughs> Playing against Simi, and uh, even when it's wet weather, he's going to step you or run around you or, or, or run over the top of you. But on Leon's artificial pitch, you're going to be electric, mate. So uh, I should think uh, you're excited about that. But I'm sure the fans there are, are very excited. Has the running naturally always come natural to you in terms of obviously growing up in Fiji, that running game and, and, and your awareness of space? But not only that, just your, your ability to. To, if anyone comes near anyway, just give them the big fend and the offload. Is that something that just a way of life in Fiji, that, that style? Yeah, I think so. I think that's um, mostly all Fiji. Like, we were growing up back home, I mean, in the village. We just love to throw the balls around, you know, playing touch rugby. We have a, a, it's called a Fiji touch, just one touch. So you stay alive as long as you can. So I think that's where everything comes naturally. Like uh, if there's no space or so use your what strength you got, or if you have a step or goosey, and yeah, those kind of things. I think we're so blessed, maybe on our DNA as well. So um, we, we love playing rugby when you were a kid. So I think if you go back home, everywhere in the village, they just not even a ball, maybe a piece of coconut or anything to find a ball. So they play around with it. So yeah. Hey, that's why they don't play football in Fiji, because you've got, <laughs> you got to head the coconuts as opposed to pass them. But um, <laughs> Fiji and rugby, mate, it, it's unbelievable to watch. Obviously, we're in a World Cup year, there's been a big change. At the Union, Simon Raul-Louis taken over. Obviously, Stern, Vern, Cotter's left. World Cup coming up. You've got some players coming back into the mix in France. You've got what could be perceived as the best group to get out of because you've only got Wales. They're not very good at the minute. And then Australia. You fancy your chances? Everyone was uh, excited about this uh, World Cup coming up, especially with the same pool against Wales and Australia for, I think, 4-3 World Cup now. I think there's a really good crack for us uh, to make in history as well. Yeah, everyone's, like you said, everyone come back from injury as well. So we've been looking forward to the thing for the few camp in July and then move on from that. Are you a player that loves pre-season? I think we have that PNC comp, so that's around July. Play, uh, I think, Samoa, Tonga, and uh, we go to Japan, play Japan. But then we play uh, France and England, leading to a, a week before Wales. So I think that's a very good um, warm-up game for us before the, our first game against Wales, so yeah. And you're, you're a man that prefers playing games as opposed to running up hills for pre-season, right? Because I, I was all for that. I think everyone will be training really hard for the pre-season. <laughs> <laughs> Why is it that Fijians are in such good shapes, but I, I don't understand what happened to Kenny Murray Murray Vaivu because uh, he's not been running up any hills, mate. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know about Kenny. I think uh, maybe too much double for him. Maybe that's why. I think so, I think so. <laughs> Simi, you mentioned earlier about how you guys grow up and learn how to play on the beaches and the one touch and you know playing with a stick or a coconut, whatever it is. How does the process then go from you playing in the NRL? That's a very good question. It's a very good question. So I think they find me when I was, I was on the seven comp, seven series, yeah. 
I was 18 years old when I made my debut for Fiji for the seven. So I play, I think, only three legs, one in Gold Coast, Dubai and South Africa. And then after that week, we have to come back. And then I think we have three weeks off before Las Vegas seven. I receive a phone call from um, uh, my agent right now. He's an Aussie dude. So um, he called me straight away, asked me if I want to play rugby league. But uh, back then in Fiji, rugby league is not, is not that big. I tell him that uh, I have no idea about like the rules and stuff like that. But then he make an offer. He said, look, you come, I pay your flight, fly tomorrow. Just come and have a look at the contract. If you're happy, you stay for two years. If not happy, I can pay your flight back. So I said, that's sweet, that's, I'm keen. So the next day, I catch the flight share away from Fiji to Australia. No one knew, not even my family. So end up in Australia, he was there at the airport with a sign, Sammy. Yeah, okay, this is the guy. I went straight to the club, Paramara Hills, that's my first club. Went there, so going through the contract, all I, I asked him, where's, where's the page? Where's the money? <laughs> <laughs> that, 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 that all matters to me. That's what I said. Yeah. I, I, I wonder where's the, where's the picture. And so, oh, yeah. Last page. So I see the offer. And I said, okay, yeah. I stay for two. I signed straight away. It was that big. Yeah. It was that big. The number was that big. Because uh, I was walking in the mine. I was walking in the mine, playing rugby, walking the mine in Fiji. So, do you know what I mean? Like, living in Fiji is not that... Especially in the mine, very risky, but you pay shit money. But mm. yeah, so that offer I can't even resist. I said, I have to sign it for two years. Yeah, you were unbelievable there. And obviously you go over to France and play at Bordeaux and Toulon and, and then Bristol. The big thing in Fiji is the family, right? You're sending a lot of money back to, to the village and the family. Yeah. I think people forget that, don't they? Yes, you're money driven, but ultimately it's not just about yeah. semi Randrandra. It is literally about your family back in Fiji make a difference back there as well, isn't it? Yeah, I think that's how I think all the Fijians, or maybe all islanders. So us young Fijian, we we have to help uh, back home. I think that's that's our why. So even for me nowadays, uh, find it very hard. Rugby feels like play every week. Yeah, sometimes I always, you know, just what motivates you. I think for me, it's my family, my wife back home. So that's why I think um, yeah, we 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 like um, love to help uh, people back home, relatives, and yeah. It's massive in the news back home at the moment, uh, back in the Southern Hemisphere with the young Roosters superstar, Joseph Soli, moving from uh, signing with Rugby Union. I think it was a 1.6 million. It's massive anyway. Do you think he'll make much of a difference to the Wallabies or what are your thoughts on, because he's copping a lot of flack from the NRL as well, isn't he? A lot of the commentators coming out and having a go at him. Do you kind of have any sort of words of wisdom for him or do you think that he'll make a big difference for the Wallabies? I think they, to be honest, the Wallabies they struggle for a bit. They, I think now they, as soon as Ed is there, I think he wants to bring, like you know, Lotte, Wendell Sailor back then. I think those DNA. So I think he want to bring back in the team because I think that young young dude too. He played union before as well. He's he's gone. He's gone. He's really good. I reckon he'll be, especially for an outside back like a centre or a winger, high ball. I reckon he'll be, he'll be the one to watch for coming up. To be honest. And looking at Fiji then, mate, obviously there has been changes. We've seen Cyrelui taking over. You've got a load of big games coming up. Some of the players all around the world, we've seen the Fijian Drua, you know, winning games in Super Rugby. The growth of Fijian Rugby is is getting bigger and bigger all the time. What do you see the future holding there in terms of, you know, the pathway of players? Because you do get cherry-picked going to play NRL, coming over to the play in the Premiership or playing in France. But ultimately, 
you know, you want to see a, a Fijian rugby competition or teams there get better and better year on year as well, don't you? Yeah, I, th- I think we're so blessed now back home that uh, they open a pathway. I mean, the Super Rugby for Fijian draw. So back then, everyone just trying to look overseas for, you know, yeah. a pathway for, for sports. So I think the people back home, they're so fortunate that uh, it's, it's, it's there on the front door straight away. We, we still have a lot of talent in the village, man. There's a lot. There's a lot, man, they can't name it. There's some days they're lucky to play for, for the Nrua, even the some still there. So I think um, for in the future, like for Fiji rugby and, and for the Nrua, I reckon be a, be a big big market as well for the Fijian Moisters to try to explore overseas as well for rugby. So what do you think needs to happen to Pacific rugby in order for one day a Pacific team to win a World Cup, for example? I think we, we want the same as a Tier 1 nation, you know, play play a few test match with the Tier 1. I think Fiji, maybe the last year only, or this November only play, we like you to play Ireland and, and Scotland. I think uh, for, for a Pacific team, I think if we can have that, like those those big games leading to the World Cup or give us a few, maybe a month leading like a camp, you know, because sometimes on, on the November too, especially, or example, Fiji can go train or camp for maybe three, four days and play straight away the next day. So there's not much time for to prep. Mm-hmm. I think that's why we find it so hard. If Maybe if they can give us a few, even two weeks or three weeks, then I reckon, yeah, maybe a different story. Sammy, I've got, I've got to ask, what do, you, what do you think of the new eligibility laws and what does that mean for, for players that have potentially played for the All Blacks or Nathan Hughes, for instance, that's played for, for England and now with the new laws being able to be eligible to, to play for uh, Fiji or Tonga or Samoa? Uh, how do you feel about that? Do you think that's a, that's a, that's a positive thing? Man, we, we open our doors, Fiji. Like you said, if, if Nathan wants to come, he bring like experience, you know, uh, especially a set piece for Fiji. He's been with the with the England squad for, I think a few tests. I think it will be helping the young boys as well coming up. So I reckon it will be, it will be a good uh, good thing as well for Fiji uh, to bring such a similar maybe set of Tamani value as well those boys. So um, yeah, but the thing we have a few raw talents as well. Do you know what I mean? So it's uh, it's going to be it's so hard to the coach who to pick, but we still have a few young young kid coming up. But to be honest. Either way, we need them or we don't want them. It's up to them. Obviously, you're going to line out for the Barbars against the World 15 in May. You're going to play with some unbelievable players against some unbelievable players. Who are you most excited about playing with? Lamape, maybe? Corabetti? Who are you looking forward to just bouncing off and offloading to just give the ball to someone? To be honest, I, I would love to play with uh, with Marika. Yeah, Corabetti. Yeah. Corabetti, I, I would love to play with him. I haven't played. I play against him in rugby league, but I haven't played with him together. So it'd be... It'd be a dream. Who on earth wants to defend against that? That'd be horrible, wouldn't it? Semi <laughs> <laughs> Corbetti. Uh, oh my goodness! <laughs> and they'd literally just be giggling like that on the field all the time, wouldn't they? Offloading, giggling, running through people. Semi, <laughs> you played for the Barbars against uh, against England. I, I think it might have been I don't know twenty seven. Ashley scored like five tries. That, yeah, that, that's my probably my first international. Yeah, against England. It, it, it was fun. It was fun to play against. England boys. And what was Ashley like at Toulon? Ashley, Ashley, uh, Ben, Ben, no, Ashley, he's a, <laughs> I get along with him, I get along with him. Because <laughs> he broke, that year he broke the record for the most tries in a season in the top 14. You gave him all the run-ins from the offloads, I used to commentate on it all the time and you basically made him, has he ever said thank you? The thing about him is, I think he knows how to follow a Fijian around on the pitch, 
Because yeah. every time me and Josh make a break, he's there straight away. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he knows. So, yeah, he knows. <laughs> and did he ever he say knows. thank you? Um, he bought a few coffee, so I think that's a thank you for me, yeah. Yeah, tight northerner. Yeah. I'd have asked for more than that of him. <laughs> <laughs> Banging that back line with Bristol, there's some extremely skillful players in that back line. It must be a nightmare to play against you guys, but how is it sort of playing in a back line like that for the Bears? Playing... With such a, like a Charles Piatal and um, AJ, it's it's so easy. Even for me, it's make make so much for my roles like so easy. I just either run a hard line or a dummy. That that's all I do all day. But with those boys, it some team it's hard to defend our back line because some they rely on me and then Charles at the back. So um, yeah, but when we play against uh, uh, Ben and them, I think really really got us good. A big call, but who's the most skillful player at Bristol? Skillful? I say Andy Urian, to be honest. Really? Yeah. I'm going you or Charles yeah. Beato. Yeah, I think I'll go for Andy, to be honest. Mm. He's being nice. You're being very nice. Well, thanks, Sammy. Yeah. Really appreciate it. Cheers, boys. Thanks, Sammy. Cheers, mate. Cheers, Sammy. Thank you, mate. Good luck for the rest of the season. Cheers, it. Thank you very much. Top lad. Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Top lad. Yeah, he is. He is. I mean, every player in the Premiership, and I mean this respectfully, will be happy to see him gone out of the Premiership, except for the players that he plays with, because he is one of the toughest blokes to tackle. Obviously, he's announced he's going to Leon on here, live. Cheers, Sammy, for breaking the news. But, mate, what a player. What a bloke as well. And every Fijian, you've played with loads of Fijians, right? Whether it be guys at Leicester, yeah. you know, obviously Nathan Hughes at... England and other players that have got Fijian roots there, they just have a giggle and have a laugh all the time, don't they? They're always happy people. Definitely, Goody. I think, firstly, said, what an incredible player. Like, yeah. unbelievable. You know, I, I, if he was, if he played for a tier one nation, he'd probably be named world player a year, probably three or four times. Every year. Every year. He'd, be, he'd be, at least be named in the, in the shortlist. Yeah. He's, he's incredible. Uh, he'll be a big loss to Bristol, loss for the fans that tune in for Premiership because he's box office. I won't miss playing against him. I will miss tuning in and watching him play against other teams. So uh, absolutely incredible. But as you said, Fijian lads are just, they, I just find with Fijian lads, they're just so content. They just ooze contentment and fun. And yeah, they're a real joy. And also they hate pre-season. That's one thing. You always know you're better than the Fijian in pre-season because they can't do pre-season. But rock up at that first game, they look like they're fitter than anyone else. It's, it's mental, though, isn't it? Incredible, yeah. If you're doing shuttles, get yourself next to Fijian. <laughs> but uh, yeah, incre- they can just, they can turn it on. Well, Simi will be taking part when the Barbarians take on the World 15 at Twickenham for the Killet Cup on the 28th of May. It'll be a guaranteed attacking rugby full of tries from two quality teams jam-packed with stars like Simi Runrundra, Aaron Cruden, the Marpies playing, Cora Beattie, Nick Phipps, Johnny May and loads more. Tickets are only 25 quid for adults and 15 for kids at ticketmaster.co.uk forward slash barbarians. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians 
who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Should we have a look at the quarterfinals then, lads? Trip to the Aviva on Friday night, Ben. We've already talked about it, but you've played against Leinster in the quarterfinal last season. What makes those guys so tough? Well, I mean, as Goody alluded to, they lost all year, all season, sorry. And if you look at the test quality they have that have just come on the back of the Grand Slam in the Aviva on a Friday night, it's as tough as it gets. But that's why we play the game. What a brilliant challenge for us to go to. You know, sport is unpredictable at times and, you know, we're going to make sure that we go there. We, we've got to we've got to let the occasion bring out the best in us because if it doesn't, we will fall short. So it's going to be a cracking encounter and it's one that I know the whole squad are looking forward to. Goody, predictions for La Rochelle v Saracens, Exeter Stormers, Toulouse Sharks. There's a lot of big matchups there. Yeah, mate, I, and this is the thing. You know, people have moaned about the competition about, and Jim said it on air, didn't he, around how it you decipher it in the pool stages to get to this point. But you get to this point and you've got eight unbelievable teams. All credit to them in terms of how they've got there. Obviously, all the home teams from the last 16 games. But you just listed off those massive teams. You've got the two biggest teams in France. You've got the three biggest teams in England historically, in Exeter, Saracens and Leicester. And then you've got the two best teams in South Africa. And then the best team in Ireland, well, it's basically Ireland's national team, isn't it, bar Peter Omani. What a competition. You get to this point and it's mouth-watering. La Rochelle against Saris, um, watching La Rochelle at the weekend. Even Saris against Ospreys. And we didn't really talk about that game too much. But Ospreys really took it to them in that first half especially. And it was only Reese Webb's like loose line-out throw that led to the try from Duncan Taylor that really took Saracens away from the Ospreys. So they look vulnerable, but then La Rochelle looked vulnerable against Gloucester at the weekend at times when they got it to width, when they had, you know, that they found that corner in attack and, you know, put the wingers under pressure, making decisions at the line and Lewis Rees-Zamet was on fire. So you could see Saracens going there and doing a job. You know, the whole Will Skelton thing, he won it with Saracens, didn't he, a couple of years on the spin and, and now he's gone to La Rochelle and he's a champion there as well. La Rochelle are unbelievable at home. Yeah, the support they get, the noise in that stadium. And I was very lucky to commentate on a game there a few years ago. It is a hell of a place to go to. So I can see Saracens winning it, but I don't know, champion team. I just think La Rochelle nick it again. They've probably just got that experience around winning it last year. And you know, Saracens, while they're an outstanding outfit, they have showed a few vulnerabilities this year. So I'm going to back La Rochelle in that one. Extra Stormers, really tough to call because Extra have only lost once at home this year against Saracens and that was a last minute kick early in the season they've got some issues around the squad you know they've got some youngsters playing Rob Baxter now he's got himself 
in a good place because he picked some young kids at the weekend off the back of a really poor performance at Bath and they've beaten, effectively won the quarterfinal through scoring more tries, so they're through. So now does he go back to Stuart Hogg at fullback? Hoggy was, I think, fit for this weekend but hadn't had enough training minutes in him so didn't play. Tom Wyatt at fullback scores an absolute worldie of a try, plays pretty well. He's got a decision to make. Does he go back to Scotland's one of Scotland's best ever players in Stuart Hogg, who will be fit for this weekend in a knockout game against the Stormers? Or do you back the lad that you're probably going to back for the next few years as Hoggy's retiring and you know Josh Hodge has dipped in and out of form? So he's got some big decisions to make there with some top quality players. But I like the Stormers. I like John Dobson. He's a friend of the show. So I'm probably going to back the Stormers to be the only... South African team to make it to the semi-finals because I can't see the Sharks. I can see the Sharks. I can make an argument for every team. I'm basically <laughs> going, we've got Young on, so I'm going, Leicester are going to beat Leinster. I'm going to go La Rochelle to beat Saracens. I'm going to go Stormers to beat Exeter. And I'm going to go, I'm going to go Sharks to beat Toulouse. We're going to have three away quarterfinal victories. What do I know? What an idiot. So what are your predictions, Youngsy? You're in the competition. You're in the guts of what's going on here. Who do you think's winning these quarterfinals? So I'm I'm backing us to go on a Friday night and do a job. Of course we are. Of course we are, absolutely. And then La Rochelle, Saris. I, I think Saris can match La Rochelle's power. However, I know on the back of a poor performance, let's say, against Gloucester, although Gloucester were magnificent, I'm not taking anything away from them, you're going to get reaction. Agar is a very good coach. I think that's going to be a real tight one. I've got a feeling Saris will, will just have enough. I think they can match them their power game. Nice. And I think that they might just do that. I'm going to go Storm has got to travel. Extra played a lot of minutes. Does he make changes? If you mentioned Goody, does he bring in some fresh legs, some experienced guys, some guys he knows that can deliver it? I think Extra will win that. I do. And then lastly, I can't see anything but a Toulouse win. I think the Sharks will make it scrappy, go hard at the breakdown and all that. But I just think the Toulouse power, the flair, DuPont, the guy can score out of fun he's uh he's on a different planet so i think toulouse will win nice like it goody you mentioned williams's try how about friend of the show freddie clark's try mate ridiculous like what second row can do that and can you imagine jim giving that a go <laughs> like first of all he'd have dropped it <laughs> secondly probably wouldn't be on the field because it's not a he's not in the first team but freddie clark oh my what a finish like you're seeing wingers do it regularly aren't we? James Lowe had one when he was actually in touch, but, you know, he still scored it. You know, it's happening more and more regularly. And it's clearly, Youngs, I want to ask you this, is it something that the wingers are coached at, at the minute? Because it's happening week in, week out, isn't it? Yeah, it's become a real sort of add-on if the wingers can finish. Like, uh, obviously, Denny Sanamona, I thought, he almost brought it from rugby uh, league. I think it's a league thing, really. Those finishes are a massive rugby league thing. And he came over when he first joined Sale. Some of the finishes he was doing in the corner was unbelievable then Johnny May started doing it and it become now it's part of a winger's expectation is to be able to find a way of scoring whether that's getting your feet in the air side on horizontal whatever it is but just getting that placement whilst the whole body being vertical in the air or even it's over the trial line but as long as it's off the ground and single-handed put it down yeah guys practice it on crash mats it's a real skill and you're talking about Freddie Clark's one compare that to Cobus Visa Jasper Visa's brother who thought he could just run over a centre in Jennings when he was about to score for sale and got absolutely buried into touch. So Freddie Clark has obviously watched that. He's listened to the podcast and he's thinking, if I'm running down that touchline, I'm getting my feet in the air 
and I'm coming out with a magic finish because he looked he looked a million dollars. Give him a pay rise again. He, he, unbelievable finish from Freddie Clark. <laughs> Whose was better, Williams or Clark? Oh, Freddie Clark every day of the week. To see a second row do that, Willems is a fullback. He's a ten. He can play centre. He can play on the wing. As young as he said, it's now an expectation that a winger can do that. I ain't ever seen a second row do that in my life. So uh, Freddie Clark, hundred percent, way more impressive. I agree. To see a forward do it, and like it's just the it is incredible and athletic ability, something that Jim wouldn't have been able to do. So therefore, it's definitely the best finish. Right. Well, let's finish things off then with the good, the bad, and the ugly. Yeah, loads of good this week. And we're going to start off with Cardiff beating a fully loaded sale team to honour their former chairman, Peter Thomas, who sadly passed away in the week. Brilliant performance from Cardiff. We've given Welsh rugby a bit of stick over the year because they have been poor. But what a response. Very sad news to lose Peter Thomas, who's done so much for Cardiff rugby over countless number of years, 20-odd years, I think. So, um, yeah, big victory for Cardiff in the Challenge Cup. We'll go Leicester Tigers. Of course we are. We've got Ben Youngs on the show, so they're going to get a mention in the good. And especially Jasper Visa came off the bench to inspire Tigers to a victory. Eight carries, 27 metres, three defenders beaten and a try. He looked angry. His teeth were out. He's barrelled over Jamie Ritchie for, to score the try, and then he's had twinkle toes down the touchline. So... An unbelievable performance from Jasper Visa and Leicester to get the victory over basically Scotland. Basically, Leicester beat Scotland at the weekend, and it's just such a shame that Jim's not here to to agree with that. But um, there we go. Big shout out to Leicester Tigers and Jasper Visa. Leinster get a mention in the good as well. They march on still unbeaten this season, dispatching Ulster 30 points to 15 at the Aviva. But their run is going to come to an end this weekend, folks, over in Dublin because Leicester Tigers and Ben Youngs are coming to town. Gloucester get a mention in the good as well. Even though they lost, it was a huge performance from them. They nearly beat the champions in their own patch. Freddie Clark, we've just spoken about him. What an absolute world of a finish. And they were hard done by by some refereeing decisions. So a massive shout out to Gloucester and all the players. It was a hell of a performance. But the good this week goes to my old team, the Sharks in Durban. They dispatched Munster 50 points to 35, but not just the rugby, the atmosphere in the stadium was unbelievable. Very family orientated, loads of brys and barbecues pre-match and post-match, but the best thing about it was seeing the slides for the kids to go down and end up in the swimming pool. You can drop your kids off, you can go and sit in the bar, in the stands, have a load of beers and know that the kids are happy. You're watching rugby. It looked amazing. The sun was out, 29 degrees. The Munster boys were struggling with a bit of sunstroke and all this stuff, but the kids of Durban were very happy watching their heroes while going down the slides. I don't even think the kids were watching the rugby. They were just going down the slides happily. So the good this week goes to the Sharks and the atmosphere at Kings Park on Saturday. The bad, few bits of bad. Munster, again, I mentioned in the bad. They had sunstroke, bless them. They didn't pack the factor 50, but they took 50 points away at the Sharks. Who takes 50? Monster do. Not only that, but they're all sunburned and they're all struggling this week. Graham Roundtree was hiding in the stands in the shade, but the boys were out in the sun. Apparently Graham Roundtree's ears got burnt though because they weren't in the shade because they're so big. Unfortunate for Munster, but they're in the bad. Um, what else was bad? Rassing are in the bad this week. They took 50 points at the Lions as well. They weren't used to the high vault up in Joburg, so they took 50 in the Challenge Cup. The Dragons get their weekly mention in the bad this week. Of course they do. They took 73 points away at Glasgow. I mean, it just goes from bad to worse. Luke Narraway, what are you doing? I feel bad, but they're in the bad every week, Youngsy, because the Dragons are shocking. But the bad this week goes, unfortunately, to Mike Adamson for his performance in the La Rochelle versus Gloucester game. Didn't check the knock-on just before the final try which Teddy Thomas scored to put La Rochelle through to the quarterfinals. Some big decisions went against Gloucester. 
I wasn't happy with Mike Adamson. I tweeted about it, so he's going to get the bad this week. Mike Adamson, you get the bad. Ugly, couple of bits of ugly to get through. It's not going to be hard to work out which one gets it. But Aki Siuli from the Dragons got red carded for contact to the head of Peter Horny, Horny, Horny. You just can't be doing that. But the ugly this week goes to, surprise, surprise, George Henry Colomb for his crop roll on Ruin Ackerman. Thoughts are with Ruin Ackerman. His knee looked pretty fucked in terms of the knock-on effect of having 150 kilos crop roll you and land on it. Hope he's okay. Hope he recovers as quickly as possible. But the ugly this week goes to George Henry Colomb for his crop roll. Shock him. Thanks, Goody. And you guys have got a couple of shout-outs to finish off with, don't you? Yeah, a massive shout-out to Olney RFC Colts, uh, who just won the National Cup semi-final at Stockport on uh, the weekend. They won it 42 points to 24. It's the first time in their history that they've made the National Cup final. And also to Insonian's first 15, as they've secured back-to-back promotions in the All-Island League. Shout-out to Edinburgh Uni, fourth 15 for an unbeaten season in the league and the Cup with massive props and their coach, Chicken, for coaching them to victory. Well done, lads. That's the big time. Edinburgh Uni fourths. Absolute big time. Well done, boys. I can imagine their initiation. <laughs> oh, loose. It'd be horrible, <laughs> wouldn't it? It'd be horrible. Yeah, it would. A massive <laughs> shout out as well to James, who's come on to say he's recently converted to the rugby pod and he loves the show. He's asked if we can give him a shout out to his mates who are completing the Three Peaks Challenge in 24 hours raising money for nurses who support families and sufferers with dementia. So, um, yeah, big shout out to James and all his mates doing the Three Peaks Challenge. Obviously a ridiculous thing to do in 24 hours, but you're doing it for a great cause, so good luck to you all. And the last shout out goes to Illingham and Ringwood RFC, whose men's first 15 and second 15 won their respective league games last week. Well done. Thanks, Youngsy. Thanks, Goody. Thanks, Producer Rob. And thank you very much for listening. Don't forget to check us out on YouTube and make sure you've subscribed on Spotify. Rugby spot. You sound better than Jim Hamilton saying that. Spotted pod, 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 pod. (laughs) 